Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello, and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so thrilled to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, Child and Teen Development Specialist, author and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together, and we have some great people helping us along the way. Now, every year, there are many thousands of adoptions. In fact, there have been estimates of up to 135,000 adoptions per year in the United States alone. Still, there are many misunderstandings about adoption fueled by hyped-up stories in the media and inaccurate assumptions made about the people who place their children for adoption and those who adopt. All of this creates fears and questions for parents who have adopted and for kids. How do I talk to my kids about adoption? What if they tell me while in a fight about brushing teeth or cleaning their room that they'd prefer to live with their birth parents? What if they want to have more contact with their birth family? Is that okay? And really, ultimately, what is healthiest for my child? Kids who were adopted, as well as kids who know children who were adopted, may have questions along the way. Why does adoption happen and what is it all about? Of course, the answers are all about good, honest communication, solid emotional intelligence, listening, and love. Full disclosure, we adopted both of our children, and I think adoption rocks. Who else thinks adoption rocks? Hopefully you do, but I can tell you that my next guest also thinks it's pretty awesome, as she is an adoptive mom as well. Carrie Goldman has written for everything from the New York Times, CNN, Psychology Today, Huffington Post, and more. She has made appearances on NPR, BBC, MSNBC, CNN, along with countless other media outlets. Carrie writes one of the nation's premier adoption blogs, Portrait of Adoption, which has followers in more than 45 countries. Her acclaimed children's chapter book, Jazzy's Quest Adopted and Amazing, came out in June of 2015, and the sequel, Jazzy's Quest What Matters Most, came out in November 2016. In addition to her adoption experience, she is also an award-winning author of Bullied, What Every Parent, Teacher, and Kid Needs to Know About Ending the Cycle of Fear, which we discussed in a previous podcast episode. I hope you'll check that out. Bullied has received a National Parenting Publication Award and a Mom's Choice Award, both at the gold medal level, for excellence in educational skills and tools. You can find out more about our fabulous guest, my friend, Carrie Goldman, at CarrieGoldmanAuthor.com. I want to thank you, Carrie, for joining us once again on how to talk to kids about anything. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm really happy to be back. Oh, good. I'm glad we had a lot of fun last time. I know this one's going to be a good one too. Yes. So before we get into everything, for those of you who don't know your story about adoption, who maybe haven't read your books or your blog, why is adoption important to you so much so that you've dedicated this time, this effort, this love into talking and spreading the word about this topic? 
Sure. Um, so my husband and I, as many people do who enter into adoption, did go through an you know, our own very difficult experiences with loss and infertility. And when we made the decision to adopt, and this was now um, about 14 years ago, we decided that we would have what's called an open adoption. And we can talk some more about that in a minute. But our families, they it was very foreign to them and our friends. They did not know much about it. A lot of them felt awkward asking us questions. Mm-hmm. And I decided you know, initially just for my parents and my sisters and my friends to start the blog portrait of an adoption. Um, But over time, as people started to join the community who were both um, birth families, adoptive families, and and eventually adult adoptees, then the breadth of the topic grew and my own education grew because I started hosting a 30-day series every November where I invited guest, basically guest writers to share their story. And that was when I really started to learn more and share more about all the different perspectives in adoption. Mm-hmm. I love that. And and let, let us start from the beginning and, and get our footing for those who are newer to the topic of adoption. You mentioned a closed or semi-open or open adoption. You have an open adoption. Let's talk about what, what's closed, semi-open and open. What, what do those mean? So uh, it traditionally, the adoptions that many people know about from when they were growing up were closed. Mm-hmm. A closed adoption is when there isn't really an exchange of identifying information between the biological family and the adoptive family. And so the the child was adopted and that was it. There was not a lot of history and, and there was certainly not contact going forward. Um, A semi-open adoption is one where you might exchange identifying information, but you don't keep in touch. You don't send pictures to that biological family. They don't reach out to you. So you are able to find each other, um, and perhaps there's an agreement that if you want to, you can find each other, but you're not in regular contact. Mm -hmm. And then an open adoption, and this is interesting because there's no legally defined um, you know, terms for what an open adoption is. But an open adoption is one where not only do you have identifying information, but you may decide to keep in some form of contact, mm-hmm. whether that, and, and that really is something that can evolve. Mm-hmm. Many times what we think an open adoption is going to look like and what it actually looks like over years and years of parenting will change depending on the needs of both parties, you know, the birth family and the adoptive family, as well as, I guess, you know, most importantly, the needs of the adoptee, so all mm-hmm. three parties. So you you often have people who think, I'm going to do an open adoption, but I don't know what that looks like, and I learn what that looks like as my child grows older. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it does vary. I and mean, we, you and I have had some candid conversations about, you know, at times when things have changed, where maybe one of the, uh, maybe a birth parent pulled away for a little while, um, and then came back in because people are human and mm-hmm. sometimes need space. And and for me, um, in in my own story of of an open adoption, we we really allow as much 
as possible. We want the birth parents to have the room to be the human people that they are. And, mm-hmm. and we, we are very fortunate, love our, our birth parents so very much. And uh, we've uh, had some really great relationships and times with them. And I love that I'm able to get in touch with them over medical things. We've had a lot of questions medical-wise with our kids over periods of time. They've gotten in touch with me about just questions they have because we became very much like family. Um, and that's a fantastic, that's a fantastic arrangement. Yeah. It's also not always the case, you yes. know, um, to find a situation where on both sides, the birth mother, the birth father, yes. and, and the families want and are able to be in contact, that is just beautiful. Yes. The, the reality that many people might face is that and, and we certainly face this with ours. So mm-hmm. we are open on the birth mother's side, mm-hmm. uh, but it isn't safe for our daughter to be open on the birth father's side. So mm-hmm. for example, on that side, we aren't we aren't open. That mm-hmm. doesn't mean we don't tell her what we know. Right. And it doesn't mean we don't um, share with her what we can, but we've made the decision as her parents, uh, you know, that we aren't going to email and visit and mm-hmm. reach out. And right. those are hard decisions to have to make, very hard very decisions. Hard. But very that's hard. often part of why a child might be placed for adoption mm-hmm. is to help keep that child right. safe or, or comfortable or happy. And so it's one of the things we really learned with our adoption also is how, how much it does evolve over time. In the beginning, it was it was difficult. Um and we had to have a lot of hard discussions with each other about what are appropriate boundaries, mm-hmm. what works for each of us. And then we got on a schedule of, of when we would speak. Mm-hmm. And that helped enormously mm-hmm. for both mm-hmm. of us. Um, and then as we grew older, my daughter's birth mother and I became closer. Uh, partly because I learned so much more about the struggle of a birth parent I learned mm-hmm. to empathize That's it. more mm-hmm. and as I empathized more and more with her loss and her struggle mm-hmm. and reached out to her more I felt less afraid instead yes. of being afraid of yes. her taking my daughter from me in mm-hmm. some emotional way I felt less afraid and so I was more comfortable with sharing more intimately you know, anything and everything with her. And we became so close that now, I mean, I would text her any given moment if I felt the need to. And I know she could do the same with me, but it took a number of years to get to that place. Yes. Yes. And that's, that's beautiful. And again, honoring people as the humans that they are. And, Mm -hmm. you know, people often say, oh, I, I'm nervous about the idea of adoption because uh, of these fears. And, Mm -hmm. and I really can understand that the, the media has put out a lot of information and perhaps, you know, somebody has a friend where the adoption failed or something didn't work out. And mm-hmm. and that's a lot of the information that's out there. And maybe the information about the really beautiful side and, and how things can work. I mean, and you have to work at it. But yep. that how they can work needs to be out there. I think it's important that we underscore that that these people um, who who are involved with adoption on any side are are human beings with with feelings and struggles and and they're all very real and when if it's possible to come together and work together then it can work out as a beautiful thing if you don't feel unsafe as you were just mentioning 
Well, and, and one of the things that I've talked with people about is how any relationship, any relationship, any friendship, any romantic relationship, they all, you know, have a process where you learn about each other, mm-hmm. grow closer and right. more intimate. So just because somebody has made the enormous decision to ask you to raise their child doesn't mean that they are now instantly on the level of being your intimate and close best friend. And so, you know, you're bound by this very intimate, intense thing, which can sort of muddy up the rules Mm -hmm. of the relationship. But often after that moment of, of deciding that you're going to raise the child and be the parents, you still have to go through the years long process mm-hmm. of, you know, disclosure, getting to know each other, personalities. And so it makes perfect sense when I look back on it that 13 or 14 years into our open adoption, I am far more comfortable with mm-hmm. my daughter's birth mother because we've had time to actually build our own relationship. Yes, right. And and I think that's really important. I, I Just to underscore that, that this takes time right. and and it gets time you know it takes time to feel comfortable in your own skin and and realize that you are if you are, have adopted a child that you are that child's parent mm-hmm. and and sometimes we can struggle with that feeling um because we didn't give birth to that child and we just don't have so much conversation about this so it can feel like oh uh, if if i had given birth to this child then this wouldn't be in question that somebody else is out there and mm-hmm. and maybe maybe that child um or that that birth parent might uh, what we hear in the media come back and and right. say i want my child back. that's that's the the press that had right. said all these things it doesn't work that it way it doesn't work that way right it's it just not how it is right. yes exactly so we have to dispel that fear and and realize that this can this can really work and it can be a wonderful thing for a lot of people but it takes time to grow and change and and become something wonderful one of the things that i've learned from openness is that there's actually much less fear when yes. you make room for openness because think about it if your fear is that person's going to come back show up on my doorstep and say i want custody of my kid well the only scenario in which something like that would happen is if you haven't been in touch with each other and know what each other is thinking and talking. So, you know, that's the type of fear you have if you haven't spoken to the person in 10 years because you don't know where they are emotionally. Mm -hmm. If you stay in touch and you have an open adoption, you know when they're struggling and when they're not. There's no fear that suddenly someone's showing up to ask for the the kid back Mm -hmm. because you you know where that person's brain is. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's by, by keeping people apart is what breeds more fear. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, of course, we know that there are still many people that have uh, semi-open or closed adoptions. Mm-hmm. I have some dear friends who have closed adoptions, not because that was their the thing they opted for, but because they have an international adoption yep. and they just didn't get you know a lot of information. They love their kid more than anything in the world, but they, they don't have the information. Yep. Um, so... With an open adoption, we know that, you know, we got pictures around the house, we got text messages, we got phone calls, we got all this stuff. But for those people who aren't in that same circumstance, what is your view about telling those children about adoption? What's the best time to tell your child that he or she was adopted? What, What do you do in those circumstances? 
my feeling and and my experiences have been that just like you never have a moment when you know you learned your name, Mm -hmm. you know, like you just always knew your name with the youngest children, you don't want a moment when they suddenly learned they were adopted. So even when they're very small children, you could just throw in sentences every now and then, like, we're so happy that we adopted you. We love being your parents Mm -hmm. so that there isn't this life changing moment Mm -hmm. with older children. Obviously that's different. If you adopt an older child, um, they they know they had their history. But what I have found is that origin stories are very important to somebody's sense of identity. So as much as we can give someone their origin story, the better. And mm-hmm. even if we don't know all the details of the origin story, we tell what we do know. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, Sometimes we think, oh, well, the origin story is unpleasant. I want to protect my child from this. I want to protect my child. We had a a very fascinating experience with this that that I'll share with you. Our daughter was in foster care before she came to us. Mm -hmm. And because the reasons why she was in foster care were were unpleasant and ugly, we thought, well, we don't want to tell her too much about that because we don't want it to affect her sense of self. So for years, we told her you were in foster care, you know, we love you, we adopted you. The problem was, unbeknownst to us, because we weren't telling her everything we knew about her origin story, she was making up her own origin Mm. story in her mind. And we didn't know that until she reached age 11 and started having a lot of troubles. And through a process of therapy, we found out that So her birth mother had eventually regained custody of her other children, but our daughter was placed for adoption. Um, And our daughter was telling herself, well, there must have been something wrong with me. She, you know, if my birth mom took back the other two, but not me, I'm the problem. Mm -hmm. And so she was telling herself an origin story to make sense of things that was actually quite damaging. Mm -hmm. And so we had to sit down and have a talk where we said the reason we didn't tell you, you know, exactly why you were in foster care is that we thought that it would be too upsetting. But now we realize what's been more upsetting is not giving you that information and you going and creating your own narrative. Mm -hmm. And so we told her in age appropriate language, Mm -hmm. very, you know, honestly, we don't know all the details, but this is what we do know, and it helped her see that the reason she was placed for adoption wasn't that there was something wrong with her. There was something wrong with another member of the household, and mm-hmm. that she had to be kept safe. Mm-hmm. And that really brought her so much peace and changed mm. things. And so, so we really learned a lot in in that process about how we thought we were protecting her, but honestly, we we need to share in an age appropriate way as much as we know f- mm-hmm. for our children to prevent these very situations where they create their own origin stories that might be harmful. So for those kids who who were adopted from another nation and perhaps the information is really mm-hmm. c- quite limited. I was interviewing Sue Cornbluth who was talking about how you know maybe we can talk about the the country or the mm-hmm. place yep. and and go into Where detail about that. What yes. what what can we do? What are some tips for those people who who do have a closed adoption and want to provide their child with as much of their history as they can 
but they need to reach a little. What what kind of tips do we have for them? So it's 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 a great question, and actually. Um, I've had a couple of my guest essays in the portrait of an adoption series have been written by people who both adult adoptees who were adopted Mm -hmm. internationally and by parents. Mm -hmm. And what has helped the most is start the origin story from as soon as you can. So it might be for one little girl who was adopted from China, um, you know, they said to her, this is where you were found. She had been found wrapped in, you know, some blankets under a a bridge. And they said, this is where you were found. Someone took the time to lovingly wrap you and put you in a place where they knew human beings would find you. That's how we knew they loved you and wanted you to be safe. Mm. You know, you weren't left hidden in the woods. You were put in a heavily trafficked place. So this tells us what we can infer from this is that your birth mother thought, you know, I love this child. I want someone to find and care for this child. So we start your story wherever we can. Um, And if we don't even know that much, maybe there was a woman um, who wrote for my series who has a little boy named Jack who they adopted as a toddler. And they made for him what they call the Jack book. And the Jack book starts with the orphanage where he was and then what they knew of the caregivers who worked there. And they, you know, they wrote to the orphanage and got more information from the women and eventually made a trip back to, um, that this was also China, back to China and took him to see where he started. And it was very, very good and helpful for him. So Mm -hmm. whenever we can start, even Mm -hmm. if it's at age three, we go there and then we try and help them piece together what we might have known before that. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think that's that's very important for their identity, and right. you know everybody wants to have a beginning. Yeah, and uh, just like anybody else, you know they want to have their their story, um, so that they're not constantly going through life wondering or searching right. for it or trying to fill in a hole and and this is how we make our children whole right we give them That's right. the information that is who they are psychologically the children who do the best in life are the ones who have a narrative that makes sense to them mm-hmm. about their life and so our job as parents is to help our kids learn and tell their story as much as they can. Mm -hmm. And it's great for us to tell them their story, but as soon as the children are able to talk, we also want them to to tell the story so we know what they're thinking. Like Mm -hmm. we wanna hear, that's how we learned actually, that our daughter, you know, had a story where she thought there was something wrong with her, was when we said, well, what, why do you think, you know, this, played out the way it did. And Mm -hmm. that was very, very important. So we want to share Mm -hmm. the stories. But as the children grow older, we also want to listen. We want to ask them, what do you think about your story? Mm -hmm. How would you tell me your story? Because then we can also find where the gaps are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I started telling the kids their story from the moment that uh, they were in my arms because I felt like I wanted to practice. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, <laughs> I'm i telling a newborn baby mm-hmm. about how much their birth parents love them. Yep. And we really want to make sure that they know that they were loved on all sides and that we were there for them when we found out they were a boy or a girl. We were there when they were born and we were in the, the room 
and and how much love was around them and it's a, it's a story that they like to tell and hear and and uh, you know it's it's something that our whole family knows and our friends oh yeah I think kids like to hear their story mm-hmm. over and over you yes. know I think it's very soothing to them you know one of the things that I encountered with with um, my daughter was there were a ton of picture books that were out there to help um, help her you know. Mm-hmm beautiful picture books written for adoptees, written about adoptees. But when we ran into some trouble was when she turned, you know, seven, eight and was moving into the early chapter books. And there were great books out there, the Jack and Annie stories and, you know, Beezus and Ramona and Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing. But there were none where she saw the feelings that she was going through Mm -hmm. as an adoptee. And there is a real like, scarcity of of chapter books that feature adoptees and because your story is so important and your voice that was actually the motivation between behind me reaching out to my friend and colleague Juliet Bond who's a not only a children's book author but a, a licensed clinical social worker who works in adoption and so you had mentioned earlier that you know we were writing Jazzy's mm-hmm. Quest we wrote that because we wanted more stories more origin stories that kids could start reading when they've moved past that picture book phase Mm -hmm. where they could see, because what happens is in the very early years, we tell our kids you were wanted, you were loved. And often that's enough. But when they start turning six, seven, eight, the fact is that identity questions come in. This is when it gets harder. This Mm -hmm. is when they first start saying things to us like, you know, I hate you and I wish I could go live with my (laughs) birth. Yes. And, and so that's when we need books that aren't just all rainbows and unicorns, exactly. but ra- books that's, that show adoptees it is normal and it is expected for you to go through these feelings. And that's what we had Jazzy do. You know, we had Jazzy say, I don't feel like I belong. I don't feel like I belong. What's mm-hmm. going on? Help me out here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And well, it, it's been really helpful for me to get in that mindset of normalizing the questions around identity. Exactly. So what what would a parent say when a kid yells that she'd rather go live with her birth family? So it's very interesting. Um, I've had lots of experience with that from uh-huh. the times when my daughter gets mad. We have discovered, in, and in talking to many, many other adoptees as well as adoptive parents, I have learned that that kids are most likely to yell that at you when they're mad because they're not getting something they want um, that really has nothing to do with whether or not they're adopted. Mm -hmm. So you're asking the kid to do their homework. You're telling the kid, no, they can't stay out late. You're telling the kid, it's, you know, you can't have this. In those moments when we're putting out a boundary, that's when the fantasy of, oh, wait, maybe if I were with my birth family, I wouldn't have these rules. Right. So I still remember one of the very first times my daughter yelled this at me. Um, (laughs) I was telling her she she had to, I I believe the argument was over homework. And she didn't want to do her homework. And she was about eight or nine. And I said, you know, you have to do this. You can't go out to play until you do it. And she screamed, you know, I hate you. I'd rather go live with my birth mother. And I very calmly looked at her and said, well, your birth mother would make you do your homework too. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, just there was really I didn't respond to what she was saying mm-hmm. so much as what the the issue was behind it. And 
so I said, well, she'd make you do homework too. And my daughter stopped and she's like, well, well, I'm running away. And I said, okay, well, do you want to have dinner first? And she said, well, what's for dinner? <laughs> and I, I told her and she was like, fine, I'll wait till after dinner. And then I'm running away. And I said to her, well, you know, after dinner, let's talk some more about it. Turns out that, you know, with a little rise in blood sugar, she kind of forgot about yes. running away and moving out and all of that yes. and moved on. The next time we had this discussion, I was trying to get her to brush her teeth and, and she, you know, she screamed, I, you know, I, I'm, I want to go live with my birth mom. And I said, well, she'd make you brush your teeth too. Mm -hmm. You know, your feelings about wanting to go live with your birth mom aren't because you're not happy here. It's that you're not happy to be asked to do something you don't want to do. Mm -hmm. And I tried to help reframe that for mm -hmm. her. Mm-hmm. Well, I know another one that we that we may get as a parent is if you if you have both biological kids and kids who were adopted and your child who was adopted asks if you love your biological children more. How do you feel that question beyond no? <laughs> I get that question daily, <laughs> not daily anymore, because I <laughs> finally we've gotten to the point where the answers sink in. But I do have two younger children that are my biological daughters. And so my oldest daughter, this is a lifelong struggle that she faces where she thinks, if you knew you could have them, would you still have adopted me? Mm -hmm. And obviously, I know the answer. You know, I know, yes, but she doesn't. And so what I have to tell her over and over and over again is that the human heart, fortunately, has an infinite capacity for loving people. It's not like we reach our quota. So, you know, some people have three kids, some people have one, some people have eight. It, and what we have learned is that the heart will love as many children as you have. It just, there's no, no limit and no quota. And so, but I do know that children who are in families where there are both adoptees and biological children are keenly, keenly attuned to measurable actions that show fairness or that show, you know, any type of measurement of love. Mm -hmm. And so my daughter who was adopted is very, very closely watching things like minutes of time given to someone, hugs given to someone, kisses mm. given to someone. She watches it far more carefully than, than the other two do. Mm -hmm. And so because I know that and I know that those things are reassurances to her, I try to be cognizant of it too. If I come into the kitchen and the youngest child is adorable on the floor in her warm footy jammies and I pick her up for a cuddle and a kiss, I do think to myself, okay, you know, my almost 14 year old who's standing here, she wants me to give her a cuddle and a kiss mm -hmm. and she does. And so I do turn and give her those cuddles and kisses. And I have seen how she's watching for that and she's keeping track of it. And it just is what it is. Mm -hmm. And so I have to offer her those physical reassurances, um, which does make her different from a typical 14 year old girl. Most 14 year old mm -hmm. girls don't want their mom with them. She wants me to lie down in bed with her each night right now because I do it with the six-year-old. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I meet her where she is. Right. That That's part of parenting kids that are both adopted and biological. You have to meet them where they are. Right, right. And, and I would imagine that some of that is based on intuition, but some of it is based on some, some conversation. Oh, sure. And she asking, tells, what do yeah. you need? 
we've taught her how to tell us. She's actually gotten quite good at it. And so I wasn't so aware that she wanted and needed the physical snuggles that I give to the youngest one Mm -hmm. until she said to me one morning, you know, you lie on the couch and hold her before school because I do, I'll read her a story or something. And she's like, but you don't lie on the couch and hold me. And what I had to explain to her at that time, I think we had this discussion a year ago or so, you know, I had to say, well, honey, the reason isn't that I love you any less. It's not that I gave birth to her. It's that you're 12 and I didn't think you would want to lie on the couch and snuggle Mm -hmm. with me before school. Mm -hmm. And she said, but I do, I do want to. And that was really wonderful. You know, ask for, we were always saying, ask for what you need. If you're not getting what you need, don't assume the reason. Ask. That's important for every child. Yes. That's important for every child that, that we have in our families and, and that we know that they they need to be able to be assertive with That's their right. needs in uh, as a child and as they grow up to become an adult. That when they can express themselves and say what they need, they will more often get what they need from others. Well, that's right. And it can be complicated. I mean, Mm -hmm. I have certainly found with my oldest daughter that she, in many ways, is very developmentally normal. She wants to be independent. She wants to be on the phone. She Mm -hmm. wants to, you know, move away from me in all the ways that teenagers do. And yet then, without me understanding why, she also was mad if I wasn't snuggling her on the couch. So the more we can get them to communicate their needs to us, the better because sometimes their needs are confusing even to them. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And that's important to just keep talking it out. That's why we say it's not just one big conversation. Right. This is a series of little ones that come up sometimes daily, sometimes weekly, sometimes monthly. I mean, they just, and and sporadically when you'd never even expect it, it's just, it's there. You know, we had an interesting experience recently around technology. My, my daughter wanted Snapchat Mm -hmm. and I was reluctant to give it to her because you know, it's hard to monitor. I, for anyone who doesn't have teenagers, Snapchat is a, a an app that allows them to send photos, videos, or written phrases. And the recipient has about between 10 and like 40 seconds to see it before it disappears. Mm-hmm. So I thought, oh, I don't want to give this kid Snapchat. God knows what she could be mm-hmm. doing. She could be sending nude pictures. She could be doing whatever, and mm-hmm. I won't know. And so I kept saying no, and I kept saying no. And then finally one day she came to me very maturely and she said, Mom, I really want to get Snapchat and here's why. And it turns out that um, my daughter's biological sister had a baby this year. And she said, she said, my sister posts pictures of the baby and I want to see my nephew. That's why I want Snapchat. Mm. And it was one of those moments where I realized, you know, we're always trying to, to get our daughter to have deep conversations about being adopted. We're always trying to get her to want to talk about it and connect. But being a 13 or 14 year old girl, she often doesn't want to. Mm -hmm. But this was how she wanted to connect. She wanted to see a picture of that baby. She wants to connect on her terms, which might be sending a silly face picture to her birth mom. Mm -hmm. And so when I understood, you know, that Snapchat was a way for her to connect on her level, then I stopped being so afraid. And I said, yes, you can get Snapchat. And funnily enough, you know, I was so afraid of her hiding things from me. Her favorite thing to do now is grab me when a new snap comes in and open it with me so she can show me the pictures of her. That's great. We got to share in their world. 
That's, yes. I mean, that's that's important for, for any child, especially teens. We got to share in their world. Let them bring us in because they do often want to share with us. They more do. More so than, than we would think. Yes. So imagine a parent is sitting with his or her child. And perhaps these parents have not told their child yet that they adopted this child or maybe the child has had some confusion or, you know, Mm -hmm. needs to be retold. What does that person say? So first of all, you know, when you're sitting down with your child, let's say you have been afraid to tell the child, maybe you've, and it might be that it's not just adoption. It might be that, you know, maybe you used adopted an embryo. So you actually did carry the baby in your stomach. Mm -hmm. Um, and by, this point you haven't really known how to explain such complicated science and suddenly you've got an older kid here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When we sit down to tell kids this, one of the things we have to stress is that parenting is not, it's not just about that biology. Mm -hmm. So we have to explain, I'm going to tell you something that might sound confusing to you, but I want you to know just as much as I was your mom yesterday the information I'm about to share with you isn't going to change the fact that I'm your mom today. You know, getting this new information, it might make you feel like your world is different. But if you think about the day-to-day actions that make a parent, you know, I'm today the same the same mom as I was to you yesterday. You just have some additional information. And I think what we have to tell our kids is we always make the best decisions we can based on the information we have at the time. And so the reason that we might not have told them this information sooner is that at the time sooner, our best decision-making that we could possibly do told us it wasn't time yet. And we might even get to the point where we have to say, I realized I was wrong. Mm -hmm. We might have to get to the point where we say, I didn't say this because I was afraid of, of things changing between you and me. And I realize now I probably let my own fear get in the way. I do wish I'd told you this sooner, Mm -hmm. but I know that waiting and waiting and waiting will only make it harder. So let's, let's start talking about it. I think it's okay to say to our kids, I loved you so much. I was scared. Mm -hmm. And you know, and now I know I, maybe I shouldn't have been that scared. I mean, we have to give them that space because they might feel anger if they're older. And we want to give them the space to say, I understand you might feel angry. Let me tell you why I didn't tell you. Right. Okay. Yes. Really important. And, and just to be as truthful and honest and open and speak from the heart. Um, and, and, and keep that door open because Mm -hmm. that's going to be a conversation that's going to take several times and, uh, you know, also much time to much time, much time to evolve. I have found whenever, you know, whenever you're in a situation where you have a secret, Mm -hmm. it can be very stressful. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I tell kids all the time and parents, secrets should be a good thing, an exciting thing. You know, a secret is when you're excited because you have good news or a birthday surprise Mm -hmm. or something. If you have a secret that makes you feel uncomfortable or scared, usually it does mean that that secret was meant to come out Mm -hmm. and not be a secret. Mm -hmm. And so the best way to handle it when you've possibly held that secret too long is to be very, very honest about your your emotions with it because it 
it kind of takes the fuel out of the fire. If you go to someone and you say, I didn't tell you this, and the reason I didn't tell you is because I love you and I was scared, that's different than saying, I didn't tell you because you didn't need to know. Mm. Right. Right. You know, so if you if you open yourself up vulnerably and say, you know, this was about me. I was I was scared. That's better than saying, well, you you were too young. You didn't need to know because we really we shouldn't tell people how they feel. We should only tell them how we feel. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good lesson for everyone, isn't it? Yeah. So if there was one important tip or takeaway that you would want parents who are listening to take from this podcast about talking to their kids about adoption or dealing with adoption in different ways, what would it be? So the tip that I think is the most important in talking with children or, or families about adoption is that you always want to be as in touch as possible with your own feelings about why you make the decisions you make. You know, if you're if you have a open adoption and your child wants it more open and you're resisting that, get in touch with your own feelings about why, you know, what am I afraid of? What do I think will happen? If you have a child who wants to visit a birth family and you don't want them to, get in touch with your feelings about why because I think when we ex- when we say to our kids you can or cannot do this, they understand more if we give them valid reasons. Mm-hmm. And a healthy adoption has good boundaries and good communication, and it also requires emotional intelligence. It requires the ability to say, you know, I feel this way about this, and here's why. And then we have to leave some space for our kids to respond. We have to give them a place to say, well, I feel this. And we have to listen with, uh, with true consideration to what they think. And, you know, if we can keep that emotional intelligence in, in our adoption discussions instead of just going from a place of defensiveness or fear, we'll do better. Right. Everybody's got a lot of emotions when it comes to this particular topic. Everybody involved. It's it's their lives. It's their love. It's, you know, this is, this is something that is around family and important decisions and it can be very challenging to understand it all. And as these children are growing up, they're going to understand different parts of it differently um, and need different information as they go forward. But our feelings may change also as parents mm-hmm. about about everything that's been going on and, and how we communicate with our child about adoption. That's right. I mean, change is, is expected, right? Mm-hmm. Like, w- we will change. We will have days where we feel good or bad or closer or more distant because that's true of parenting in general. We'll have days where we feel more attached to our kids or days where we feel more irritated with them. It's only normal to think that we'll have days where we feel better or worse or stronger or more insecure about adoption. Mm-hmm. If you, um, I know you had mentioned that uh, your your daughter likes to do Snapchat with her sister. So uh-huh. I'm just curious about um, her ability to get in touch with her birth family. Like if she wanted to text her family or um, if she wanted to call, how mm-hmm. would you how would you handle that? So it's it's a great and thanks for asking me that. Uh, my own comfort level has evolved. Mm-hmm. So when my daughter was very young, 
um, I mean, I would never put her on the phone if I wasn't sitting right in the room. Mm-hmm. I, I, it was my own issues. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I wanted to know what she was saying to her birth mom. I wanted to know. And as she got older, you know, we got to that point where she would say, can I, can I talk to her in my room, mm-hmm. you know, without you there? And I realized, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. like, because here's what I recognized. If she was asking for that and there was no safety reason why she couldn't mm-hmm. have it, which in this case there wasn't. There was right. no threat to her safety to be in, in uh, communication with her birth mom. I realized that if I tried to say, no, you can't text, you can't call, I would inevitably drive that underground. Mm-hmm. Like there would, there's no doubt that as she got older, she would you know, she'd go online and find a way herself mm-hmm. and she'd hide it from me. So mm-hmm. if my goal is to stay connected and attached, if I try and forbid that contact so that I stay more attached to her as the mom, I actually make myself less attached because yes. now she's going to be sneaking around and doing things that I don't know about. It. Right. If I give her that space and say, yes, text her or call her, you know, then there's a better chance my daughter will be closer to me and even maybe tell me, oh, this is what's going on with her. Mm-hmm. Or, or ultimately, it's gotten to the point where my daughter doesn't feel like she has to hide in her room if she wants to talk to her. She'll call her, sit right on the couch in front of me by choice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Really important information. And right now, you know, our our kids like to call uh, their birth family to wish happy birthday or, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. And, and I can imagine them being in that situation where they'll want to uh, call or text as they're getting older and they're getting more into doing all of those kinds of things. Oh, yeah. Mine's and they're still six and eight. Down. So, yeah, you just got to give them that space or, yes. or they'll do it anyway, I guess, is of what course, I'm saying. Of course. And, and they'll hide it from you. Yes. I think that's a really important, like anything, you know, about uh, even with friends, we get that situation. So try to be as open as possible, it's especially hard, though, with your reasons. You know? Yes, it's a lot of emotions. I think you just have to go back to that. Is there any safety reason why I'm forbidding this? And if there is, then I think we, you know, that's a different issue. And, mm-hmm. and we talk about that as we've done with our daughter with the birth father. But if, you know, if it's simply about your fears of losing your child's love to someone, that's different. Mm-hmm. Sure. Really important information. Tell us how can listeners find out more about you, uh, the parents and children that you help, and also Jazzy's Quest. Um, you can just well, you can a you could Google me, which is Carrie Goldman, to find all of my writings and works. But my website is CarrieGoldmanAuthor.com. Okay, C A R R I E G O L D M A N. A-U-T-H-O-R.com. My blog is called Portrait of an Adoption, and it has a very nice Facebook community. Um, so, you know, feel free to, to join Portrait of an Adoption on Facebook. Um, and, you know, I'm very responsive to people reaching out and asking anything, really. And if you have mm-hmm. a story you want to submit for the next November series, by all means, get in touch with me and I'd love to look at it. Oh, I love that series. That is an awesome series. It's a fun series. Yes. A very fun series. It is. Well, Carrie, thank you so much for joining us today. Adoption is such an interesting topic. It's emotionally charged. It's nuanced. It's 
It's so interesting in so many ways, and it's obviously touched our lives, but you're doing so much for others, having committed yourself to getting this information out there. And I, I love what all of the things that you talked about today, especially regarding being open to communication and really being in touch with your feelings and your children's feelings. So thank you so much for, for being here today. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure. Well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends. I hope you have yours. Let's discuss them. Come up onto Facebook and go to facebook.com slash Dr. Robin Silverman or go to drrobinsilverman.com, twitter.com slash Dr. Robin. Oh, and if you love this podcast like I did, I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate it so that others will also learn about it and all of the outstanding information that Carrie Goldman provided. I take it as a personal favor and thank you from the bottom of my heart. That's all the time we have for today. My fellow parents, leaders, and educators, thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And as always, please remember, even when it seems like nothing is going right, and we all have those days, you've got this. You're here, you're getting the information you need, and we are your community. And on the days that we fall short, and we know that we do some days, never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. I see you, I get it. And as there are moments when we all doubt our know-how, our choices, our sweet, sweet sanity, please know that you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.